Nurse.com is proud to be a sponsor of the Ask Nurse Alice podcast. As the premier destination for nursing knowledge and resources, Nurse.com supports your passion for healthcare with an unrivaled collection of tools, articles, and courses tailored for the nursing community. Get your daily dose of things you need to know for your nursing journey. Discover the world of nursing like never before with Nurse.com. Empower your practice, advance your career, and enrich your knowledge. Nurse.com. It's your nurse life all in one place. You're listening to Ask Nurse Alice, presented by Nurse.org, where Alice Benjamin combines no-nonsense advice with thought-provoking interviews. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Ask Nurse Alice podcast, the show where we talk about anything and everything nursing and healthcare related. I'm your host, Alice Benjamin, clinical nurse specialist, family nurse practitioner, and chief nursing officer at Nurse.org. Now, I have a question, or rather, Beth had a question. Have you ever gone to work and had just a crazy, busy, silly, bananas work assignment? And you were like, who created this assignment, right? Was it the day shift charge, the night shift charge? I don't know who created it, but they must have been out of their mind. Like, what were they thinking, right? I think we've all been there a time or two or hundred times, I should say. But with that in mind, you had every bit of desire to go up to the charge nurse and tell them they're crazy, they're nuts change this immediately and just like be kind of reckless with your words because probably by that point you're like fed up and like up to here with it. Well, although we can feel like that on the inside, I think what comes out outside needs to be a lot more professional guys. Let's be honest. The workplace is a very high intensity uh, location. I don't think anyone maliciously tried to give you a horrible assignment. Sometimes those are the cards we're dealt with. Stuff changes. But in this episode, I want to address Beth's question about first addressing you know, you can't just walk up to the chargers and tell them they suck and they're stupid, um, but instead in a professional way that is quick, swift, and to the point, um, how can you communicate with the chargers that your assignment is too heavy and you feel that it's unsafe and what you can say to them to get the resources and help that you need so you, you're not doing anything unsafe, your patients don't have any bad outcomes. And then also I want to give a little more insight into staffing, how that usually goes down, and these things called patient acuity systems that many of us are familiar with that are supposed to drive staffing that sometimes I'm like, is anybody looking at that? Um, But anyways, we're going to get into all of that on this episode. So let me first start with a personal story. I know Beth has her question, but I I find it's easier to translate or illustrate these things when I can give my own examples. Um, Because as a nurse, nursing for so long. I don't think there's a situation that I haven't been in, guys. And I work in the emergency room. Okay, guys. So in the emergency room, we have a ratio of one to four. Oh, and let me also say, I'm, I live in California. California is currently the only state with mandated minimum nurse to patient ratios, uh, which vary by specialty. So in the state of California, pediatrics is one to four, psychiatric one to six, labor and delivery one to two, ICU one to two, and med surge is one to five. And I know there's some fluctuation sometimes, depending if you're telemetry, progressive care, kind of step down, you can go one to three. So anyways, in the ER, we're usually one to four. However, because we're not designated as one of those units, like we're not a tele unit, we're not an ICU, you know, we're not a psych, we're not a pediatrics, but we get all of those things. 
when those things come into play and we have someone in the emergency room who is now going to be admitted, then we fall in line with whatever specialties we have. So like, for example, if I have four, four ER patients and then one crashes, code blues, and is intubated, sedated all of a sudden, um, now my staffing changes. I'm now one, uh, one to two. So the charge nurse gets very creative. The team gets very creative with how they move around patients. And a lot of times that also contributes to a longer wait time in the patient care area for people in the lobby. So a lot of moving parts in the emergency room. Um, But I come in, four patients, uh, two of those were teleholds and the other two were kind of like the revolving doors, patients coming in and out being seen for various complaints. But two of them are teleadmissions. I'm holding them because there's no bed. Mind you, when I get there, that's the report I get, right? But as I start taking care of them, as the day goes on, as labs are coming about, and I'm seeing how people are responding to the medications that we have, both of my teleadmissions that are holding in the ER start to deteriorate. Now, not to the point where they're completely someone considered ICU, because a lot of times when we think, oh, they're ICU, we think intubated, sedated, or there's like, um, Certain medications that are hemodynamic, vasoactive medications like Levafed, I don't know, maybe they're on like some type of Ativan, Versed drip, something that requires frequent monitoring surveillance. Those are like objective things that we can like check off the box. Like we know that, okay, that's a qualifier. That's a qualifier, right? Now, when someone's deteriorating, the supervision, the surveillance, the interventions, the assessments, the checking in and out is a lot more frequent. It's not like, oh, I'm just going to do rounding every two hours. No, you're in there a lot, right? Something's happening. You know, patient's not doing well. You know, their alertness is declining. They're becoming more lethargic, maybe obtunded. And you're like, "Uh uh-uh, something's not right. I'm not going in. I'm going in there. Or there, you get the blood back, H&H dropping. uh, In addition to the change in alertness. So you're like, okay, something's happening, but you're going in and out, in and out. You're having to communicate with the doctors. And mind you, Although physically located in the ER, the ER doctor is a resource. However, because they're admissions, there's usually an attending that's now seeing them or a hospitalist that's seeing them, right? So we have to contact them, not necessarily the ER doctor. So it's really weird. It's like lots of moving parts. But anyways, I get this assignment and two telepatients deteriorating. And then I have like these revolving doors of these other two patients. Like someone's coming in, oh, my stomach hurts. Someone's going to oh, my ear aches. And oh, there's a peds person, pediatrics. Oh, they got a cold and a fever. And like, so I'm, so it's, I'm busy. I'm busy. And then I have these two deteriorating patients. Long story short, they, both of my teleadmissions turn into ICU admissions. One actually, heart doesn't stop. Respiratory doesn't stop. But because of other things, blood pressure dropping, patient becoming very tachycardic, alteration in mental status, we decide to go ahead and intubate and um, manage the blood pressure with the vasoactive drugs. The other teleadmission was someone who was COPD exacerbation, again, slow alteration, change in the alertness, the SpO2 was dropping. ABG started looking bad. Now, mind you, that person didn't need to be intubated, but needed to go ahead and be put on a BiPAP and just some other things. Uh, and the sugar started getting crazy, crazy wild. So long story short, discovered that the patient was actually DKA. And then we needed to do like so many other things like frequent blood sugar checks, insulin draft, da, 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 da. And like, so here I am. So if you could think about it, 
I had two, really, I had two ICU patients, but they didn't quite meet the criteria to be ICU yet. But I was doing the frequent monitoring, surveillance, interventions, da, 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 all of that of ICU patients. And then I had those other two patients who were all open doors. Because remember, I said, ER, you have four patients. I thought this assignment was crazy bananas. And even before I was able to get the two tele patients classified as ICU, I had a talk with the charge nurse. And because we were also strapped for staffing, like we didn't have in as many people there. And then because of our skill mix, we had nurses on the unit who were more so new grads, new grad-ish or new to specialty. They couldn't handle some of the acuities. Like I couldn't offset one of those telepatients who were really ICU patients to someone else because there really wasn't someone else there to manage them. I was in a smaller community hospital doing an assignment, by the way. But anyways, I had to communicate to the ICU, press the doctors about what was happening to the patients and advocate for myself and these patients to get the resources and the staffing changes that I need. Because I literally, in so many words, professional words, said to the chargers, like, look, I got these two tanking patients over here. I know that, you know, there's a peds over here and there's a, a GI issue over there, but I can't see them. I can't. So they can either sit there and just wait till I'm done with all of this or somebody else has to take them because I can't do that. And then I also had to bullet point what was happening with my patients to the charge nurse. Once he knew those things, once I was able to objectively and quantify why I was needing to spend so much time in there and how sick they were and that I couldn't take four patients. And technically these were ICU, so I had to be one to two. My assignment changed. Actually, the chargers ended up taking for a moment two uh, revolving ER rooms. And then I think another nurse, as they discharged patients, he then gave those patients to someone else. And then I hate to say it, but it started to backlog the waiting area. But what can we do? There were no ICU beds at the time. Actually, there were no tele beds. There were no beds. We were waiting. It was still early in the morning. Like there was no, nobody is discharged. Nobody's discharging really till after lunchtime. That's what it seemed like. So very difficult situation. But listen, several times I had some choice words for my charge nurse, but I kept it cool. I kept it professional. I focused on the patients and I had to step back and think about a couple of things. So let, let me just first give some background. So we know that nurses play a very critical and important role to ensuring patient safety while providing patient care directly to patients, right? And while the physicians are important as well, they make diagnostic and treatment decisions, and these too, they may only spend 30, 45 minutes a day with each of those patients, and then they write their orders, and then we as nurses, uh, RNs and LVNs, implement those orders. And we see the changes of the patient's condition over time. And if something changes, especially more so gets worse, then we're usually on the phone with the providers or bringing the providers in the room. So we are the nurses. We are the constant presence at the bedside. And we regularly interact with the, not only the patients, but the physicians, the pharmacists, the families, and all other members of the healthcare team, respiratory therapists, case manager, other people of the healthcare team, and crucial to timely coordination and communication of the patient's condition so we can get the patient what they need so they can hopefully get better or get the services that they are in need of. So from a patient safety perspective, the nurse's role includes monitoring a patient's clinical deterioration, detecting errors and near misses, and understanding care processes and weaknesses inherent to some systems, uh, identifying and communicating changes in patient condition, and performing countless other tasks to ensure the patient's receiving high quality care. Our vigilance at the bedside is essential to ensuring patient safety. And it's only logical that the more numbers of patients we have, the more challenging it is going to be to provide that type of care. And there are so many factors that influence 
our staffing, uh, such as not only just patient acuity, how sick the patient is, right? Sometimes how sick the patient is getting, but also, you know, admissions, admission numbers, patient throughput. So for in the ED, I'm holding ICU patients if I can't move them to the floors, um, to the ICUs, you know, whether someone's transferring to another hospital, um, how quickly can we get critical care transport to take them there? Discharges, how many people are getting discharged out of the ER? And staff skill mix and expertise. So we may have people who've been nurses for 20 years, but maybe they're new to your specialty. So they don't know emergency room that much well, or they don't know critical care that well. So they're still learning. So you don't want to just sock it to them, right? Although sometimes you've got to learn trial by fire, right? But, you know, you can't just stick them with a patient that they is really above their head. So it's not fair to that nurse and it's not fair to the patient. Also skill mix. We might have tons of new grads who aren't as experienced enough to take certain types of patients, devices, or medications because they're they're still fine-tuning their skill set. Also, the physical layout of the nursing unit, right? You can't have all your sickest, sickest, sickest patients at the end of the hallway, away from the supplies, away from the nursing station. Like you need them a little closer, so for surveillance, right? So somebody can see them. And the availability of technology and other resources. Do you got all the equipment that you need? Do you have all the medications that you need? Do you have... And I'll say this, for example, like certain small community hospitals after a certain hour, they don't have a pharmacist on site. They share a pharmacist with other sister hospitals, which makes it challenging because when it comes to certain medications, maybe they can't mix something. So instead, the nurses are mixing their own medications. Like there's lots of moving parts. So these things can definitely impact safety and the quality of care that we as nurses provide. I'm going to take one element of that. I'm going to take the nurse patient ratio because I think that's something... That's one, only one piece of the pie. I just listed off a whole bunch of things that impact the quality of care that we provide. But I'm going to talk about patient, uh, nurse-patient ratios because I think that's something that we as nurses can t- take a better handle on. It's something that's more objective and quantifiable. Now, I say California is the only state with state-mandated ratios based on area. Other states have varying type of laws and mandates and stuff like that, but nothing like what we have here in California. So that's one element, right? The idea that if you have less patients to each nurse, that nurse has more time to provide care to their patients, especially as they're deteriorating. Now, let's talk about staffing and scheduling. Poor chargers. Poor chargers had no, it was out of his realm as far as who was going to be on that day because he himself was placed on the schedule just like everybody else. Okay. He didn't know. He didn't know he was working with. I mean, he didn't make the schedule, right? So. Sad to say, sometimes the schedule, it should take into consideration skill mix, but it doesn't always. It looks at count, FTEs, how many nurses, how many RNs, how many LVNs, how many EMTs, how many CNAs, how many patient care assistants do I have that day to make this work? So when it comes to staffing, something I think we should all be aware of, and as nurses, even if you don't make the schedule, you should be aware that this is how it comes about. All hospitals do this thing called forecasting. So they shape a plan of current and future operational needs and requirements by looking at the organization structure, policies, operational variables, staffing, and their patient population. And they forecast, like they anticipate the volume that they're going to get. So I don't know if you ever noticed this, but like during the summer, it's lighter staffing. And then during the winter, they they staff up because it's, you know, anticipating cold and flu and things like that. Certain things they can somewhat anticipate. So they staff as such. So they forecast. And so based on that forecast, that's where scheduling then comes to play. Scheduling helps to determine a set number and type of staff 
that'll be allocated for an anticipated workload and defined future time periods. So for example, schedules are usually done four to 12 weeks out in advance, right? So for the next four to 12 weeks, this is, we're going to do this schedule. The schedule is based on the budget and the forecast that was done at a more strategic level. So that scheduling doesn't always take into consideration skill mix, although it should, right? Experience. Sometimes a good, a, a good scheduler will look at those things. Like travelers just get thrown in the mix. You know, they're just plugging and playing just to make sure that there are enough RNs, enough LVNs, enough CNAs, enough EMTs that day. They just plug in to make sure that the at the bottom, we have enough people, enough bodies on site to take care of patients. And then there's staffing. Staffing is more the day-to-day operations that assesses and determines the shift allocation of nursing resources to ensure adequate staffing of each staff unit department, yada, yada, yada. And so this typically occurs within four to 48 hours of the actual shift that they're addressing. So when they have like charge nurse meetings, they go in, they kind of look at their census, how many discharges, what's the ER doing, how many admissions do we have? And they kind of plan to see like, okay, do you have enough beds? Can I send them there? And this is an opportunity for the charge nurse or whoever attends that meeting to say, you know what? I got a lot of new grads. I'm orienting today. Um, I can't do it. Or we're short CNAs, I, you know, this, this, and that. And I've also heard conversations like, you know what? We have nursing students. They can help us. They're here till three. So they can help with some of the CNA stuff since we don't have a CNA. I can flow to CNA over there since we have nursing students. Although that should not be the case. I've heard it and that gets done. So it's kind of, that's an opportunity to be like, you know what? I like, especially if there's multiple teleunits or multiple ICUs, someone might push back and say, you know what? I can't take this. I can't take this sick of an ICU patient because I don't have experienced staff to take care of this type of patient. Can you send them to that unit? And that unit may have more experienced shifts. So it's kind of a wheeling and dealing type of thing that happens. Now, another part of staffing that we barely ever talk about is improving. There are systems in place, like there's the um, patient care system or what some know as a acuity system. And we're supposed to use this to help drive staffing, help better forecasts, so we can have, have better outcomes. But it's all about improving, monitoring, analyzing, and evaluating staffing factors and actions in real time, in near time, or retrospectively. And we're supposed to identify trends and patterns that inform and refine scheduling so we can forecast better. Did y'all know that? I don't think the bedside nurse really knows that as much, unless you're someone who aspires to do leadership or you're paying attention in those staff meetings or you're on a UPC and you want to know this information. But those are really the elements of how we got to today. Now, the improving part, sometimes sometimes we're just trying to make it, y'all. We're just trying to survive. We're just trying to survive so we can't even get to the improve. We're just trying to make it through the ship. But forecasting, scheduling, and staffing are all important. So to get back to my story, poor charge nurse, he had no idea who was going to be on today. He sure could not have predicted the illnesses of the patients and how sick they were going to be. And I'll also take this opportunity to reference the acuity systems or the patient classification system. So let me say, these are the measurement systems in nursing that reflect actual patient care. And they're supposed to be for staffing purposes. So I don't know, you're supposed to do it near the top of your shift. If you don't do it, you want to find out who's doing this on your unit for you because it should not be the charger. Charger should not be doing this classification because they're not taking care of the patients. But you're supposed to address little certain questions about how much time you're spending with the patient, what their needs are, the certain aspects of their care. So it can assess how much your involvement is with the patient, how much you need to be there with the patient, how much care do they actually need presence. 
do they need? Now, there are a variety of patient care classification systems. Sometimes we call this acuity system, but acuity system really isn't fair. It's only looking at a unidimensional illness severity. So how sick is the patient? But we also have to keep in mind, and the reason why I say this is because sometimes your patient isn't as sick, but they are needy. Like the CWA patient, the patient who is currently detoxing, or the person who's having hallucinations, or just the behavioral or psychosocial issues, like that doesn't get captured well in these systems. So there are a lot of things that don't get incorporated into these measurement systems. So they're just a tool, right? There really should be some communication between you and the charge nurse. So you should be communicating with your charge nurse throughout your shift, not just at the end where they're like, give me a report so they can report to the next charge nurse. But as the day goes on, now, mind you, if, not, if it's all good in the hood, their patient's getting better, you don't really need anything. I can see why you feel like you don't need to update your patient or update your charge nurse, I should say. But I think it's a good idea because, you know, they might be able to move the patient, downgrade the patient to another area, or that might help with the assignment, leveling out someone's assignment. So like if they have a really sick patient, maybe they, they also get a lighter patient to kind of even it out, right? Share the wealth of lighter patients and heavier patients among the, the unit. But Anyways, there should be this acuity patient classification system. It's not always used. It's a tool we're supposed to have. When we, how we get federal dollars, it's impacted. We're supposed to be using this tool. It's supposed to be for patient safety and yada, 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 yada. Doesn't always get used the way it's intended to be used. So back to my story, poor chargers. He didn't know who was going to be on that day. He didn't know these patients were going to be sick. I don't think he was very familiar or using the patient classification system. And so by the time I was going through what I was going through, Honestly, I was so busy with the patients. By the time I got a chance to speak with him, I was already on level 10, level 10. I was livid because I was like, who the made this a damn assignment? What is going on? And what like what happened during the night shift? Like, did they sleep? Like, did they not see all of these things changing? Like, why is this face? Why is it such a mess right now? Honestly, that's how I felt. But as we know, these can change very quickly. And so can't play the blame game. All I can do is fix what's here and now. So this is where Beth, the person who made made the question, this is our, this is the professional call right here. So the professional side of us, piece of us should be understand that nursing is 24 seven. It's very multifaceted. There's always educational moments and opportunities for us to remind our colleagues, whether charge nurse or not, peer or not, of what it is that the patient needs and the things that I need so I can be a good nurse and provide them the attention they need so we can all be safe. Safety is the the key word here, safety. I'm not safe if I have all four of these patients because if I'm being pulled in some multiple directions, it's going to be more than one ICU patient. All four of these people are going to be ICU because I'm not going to be able to tend to them, catch what's going down south and like intervene and it's all bad. And so we want to prevent those things. So the charge nurse. So when I got to the charge nurse, I objectively, I didn't place the blame, blame. I just said, oh, what was I shift doing? I didn't say, we don't never have crap in this hospital or we don't have enough resources or like blame it on staffing. I took out the negative of it because as a charge nurse, it's already rough, right? A charge nurse is an RN who's essentially in charge of the ward or the unit during their shift. Sometimes they have patients, sometimes they don't. But this, you know, these nurses perform many of the tasks that, you know, we general nurses do, but they have some supervisory duties also. So they're responsible for smooth and efficient patient flow within the department, the unit, they delegate assignments, 
provide supervision for the support of staff. They're supposed to help with training and patient acuity. Sometimes they're doing audits. They're doing others, like all kinds of stuff that they're doing, handling calls, difficult family members, dealing with usually problem issues, things like that. So poor charge nurse, he's, he's getting pulled in multiple directions. So I said, you know what? No one wins when the family feuds, right? That's a Jay-Z line. I basically communicate. I said, you know, patient A, I'm having to go in there least every 15 minutes he's deteriorating. That's actually an ICU patient. I actually called out these patients as ICU because of the level of care and supervision and intensity they needed well before they actually medically qualified, I guess, by the hospital standards. I knew this was where this was going. And I said, I'm not going to be able to take care of these two patients. If you'd like to keep them there, I'm not going to be able to get to them because I physically can't because I'm doing X, Y, and Z. So I need some help. Can you help me? Still not a pleasant conversation to have, but it was an important conversation to have. And I was kept it objective. I didn't place blame. I didn't raise my voice and I asked for help. And I said, I needed to do it to be safe. Those conversations are really smooth and happy-go-lucky. But the important part is that's, that's part of crucial conversations and important conversations that we need to have. Sometimes it's got to be direct. It is what it is. I don't want anybody to die because I didn't get in there in time to see them. Like you hear stories about, oh, someone died in the ER hallways. Yeah, because nobody was watching them. They couldn't determine what was going on with them. There was no surveillance. And to prevent things like that from happening, we as nurses got to be on our P's and Q's. And we oftentimes have to go to the charge nurse because although they're the charge nurse, we can't assume that the charge nurse knows exactly what's going on with our patient. They don't. They know what you tell them. They are not mind readers. You need to work with your charge nurse instead of against your charge nurse. Your charge nurse is not against you. Now I'll say this. Let's say you try to communicate with your charge nurse and it's not going anywhere. Well, please know that you have other avenues. I mean, there should be an assistant manager or a manager or a house supervisor. Communicate with the physician to get your patient what they need, right? So at least on the clinical sense and that in that moment, those are usually the people you have to talk to. Now, if this is something that spills over and was really dangerous and close call and you need to make sure this never happens again to anyone else, that's when it generally will go to the divisional director, the chief nursing officer, that higher level. But Day-to-day operations clinically, those are the folks that you need to go to. So can you just walk up to your chargers and say, you suck. This assignment sucks. Like, you need to get in here. I'm not doing this. Let's not be so negative. Although I get it, guys. We have every, we have several reasons to be negative. But where is that really going to get us in the battle of things, right? Because we're there. We're at work. What's going to happen? Because we're damned if we do, damned if we don't. If we don't say anything, We're just working hard, working hard. We're beating ourselves, working ourselves into the ground, possibly missing things. And then let's say we miss something very important or there's an error. Who's going down? We are because we didn't speak up. You need to communicate what your needs are because the worst that they can say is no. The best they can say, oh, it's like, oh, here, let me help you with this. Let me start this IV. Let me give this medication for you. You can only get help, but closed mouths don't get fed. But when you open your mouth, don't just say, oh, you're stupid or I'm not going to do something. You really identify a problem, you should always come up with a solution. Always know what your desired solutions are. That way, if it doesn't come out, when you, if the other person doesn't say it, at least you have something to say, well, what about this? Can we do that? And sometimes pressure needs to be applied. And I held on to those two ICU patients. So let me go back. So I had the four patients. When those patients got really demanding, deteriorating, they were going down ICU. The I then became a nurse with one one nurse to two patients in the ER and those other two patients that I had went to other nurses. And unfortunately, because we didn't get any additional staffing, it backlogged everything in everyone in the waiting area because now 
I'm like an ICU nurse. I'm not, I'm not helping the ER move anybody until we can offload these two ICU patients. When it comes to having crazy assignments, you got to speak up because sometimes patients are getting worse. They need to move. They need more resources. And the reason why it's also important to speak up is sometimes you can't offer those resources on your unit. We've had patients go into AFib with RVR. Now, mind you, in the ER, we can give a lot of different things. But let's say you're on a tele-unit. Patients, AFib, RVR, they give some diltiazam. Maybe they decide amiodarone. It's not working. You need to cardiovert that person, patient because their, their blood pressure is dropping. You need to get them to the ICU. Like, that's what you need to do because you're not going to do all that on a telemetry unit and keep them there. Not generally. If you had to cardiovert someone, they're at least going to a step down or something of that sort with lower acuity so they can be monitored. And every patient's a little bit different, right? No one truly gets sick by the book. There are layers to this because not only does a person have coronary artery disease, but oh yeah, they have NSAID renal, they have diabetes, they have like high cholesterol, they have all of these other things. Oh, by the way, they also have, I don't know, lupus and this and that. So a lot of variables here. This is why like people are living longer, but they're also living with more chronic illnesses, which complicates the care, which is why the kind of book textbook treatment for them does not always work. They don't always improve like the textbook shade they should improve. And a lot of idiosyncrasies to care that need to be considered. And that's a lot going on. And that's why having improved minimum nurse to patient ratios would be helpful. That way the nurse would have more time to do a proper surveillance assessment, interventions. And let me just say this, like interventions. Someone got put on the DKA protocol, they're on insulin drip. We're supposed to check insulin every hour. If you're pulled in multiple directions, listen, I'm not proud to say it, but there have been situations where staffing was crappy would be too nice of a word to say. Those blood sugar checks were no longer every hour. They became like hour and a half, hour, 45 minutes, sometimes two hours because just couldn't get to them. Now, if you're ever in a situation like that, yes, you tell the chargers, but sometimes what I do, and this is only fair because the providers are going to help be held responsible by the family and the patient. You let the provider know. Attendings, when we're holding patients in the ER, I'm like, look, I know you're supposed to be, this is a DKA, it's every Q hour, but I'm making you aware of the situation in the ER, what our staffing is like. Unfortunately, I'm only able to get through these sugars maybe every hour and a half, every two hours. Just want you to know. If something is appropriate, maybe the provider will change. Okay, well, let's just do sugars every two hours. Let's change the order. Okay, that's fine. But if the provider says, oh no, this needs to be done. They need to be the one to apply pressure to the housing supervisor because we need more resources. But you got to speak up. You got to speak up in a professional way. When you complain and talk crap about people, you don't get what you want. We need to look at policies, procedures, better understand the dynamics. Like I just told you about how staffing, the forecast, the scheduling, the staffing, and the improving how it's supposed to be. I told you about the acuity systems, how they're, suppo they're supposed to be implemented, but they're not always used that way. And sometimes the idiosyncrasies, like the psychosocial issues that don't get incorporated or measured or accounted for when we're doing staffing, like, oh, that's one to four. Yeah, but I got two of them jumping all over the place. Right. They're running down the hallways going, trying to go AMA when they're 5150s. Like you have to incorporate those things in your safe patient staffing. But your charge nurse doesn't know unless something is said. So have a conversation with your charge nurse. Be objective. Be constructive. Have some solutions in your mind as far as what you would like to see. And if they can't meet you with those things, ask them, say, well, what do you think is the safest option in this situation given X, Y and Z? Talk with your chargers. If it still doesn't feel good and if it still doesn't sit well with you in your tummy, take it to the next level. Assistant nurse manager, manager, house supervisors, communicate with the physicians. 
or the NPs, let them know what the situation is. Allow them to apply pressure as well. I've definitely seen things move just like that. Once I told a doctor, so go run and tell that, right? Not to be tattletale, but let's be transparent. Nobody's trying to hide anything. I'm being transparent. And it's not about personally, like I'm gunning for you or I, I got it in for you. I'm trying to throw you under the bus. This is all about the patient. It's all about safety. It's all about business. This is all professional. So think about how you would like the nurse taking care of your mom or dad to handle the situation and do just that, okay? And then also we know a lot of this is so unhealthy for us physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And so I'd like you to approach it glass half full. I know it's hard. It's a long order, tall order, but you got to try. We got to do it. We want to try to alleviate burnout in nursing. And if we can do this, if we can exercise this, get this to be routine and pattern in communication, addressing our needs, no one can ever say, well, I didn't tell you, I didn't tell you. And then you communicating things and taking it up the chain of command, hopefully will displace any fault or blame that falls on you because you were advocating your patients. You were met with barriers that were above your pay grade, but at least you tried, right? Communication, communication, communication is key guys, but also being familiar with the politics of how staffing comes about and the things that influence staffing and how that happens. Now, I know there's a lot of other things that influence staffing. We'll get into that in another episode, but I wanted to address Beth's question about her crazy bananas assignment and why she didn't walk up to the, why, how she wanted to walk up to the charge nurse and say, you're nuts, bananas. It's not just that charge nurse's fault. So please have some consideration and some empathy for our charge nurses. And if you are a charge nurse and you listen to this, please, I, I want to empower you to also be an advocate as well. Go up your chain of command, close mouths, don't get fed. Your peers, your staff nurses are looking to you to help lead that ship that day. You know what it's like to work on the floor. So let's be that charge nurse that everybody can be proud of. Okay, guys. So thanks so much for tuning into this episode. I hope this was helpful. Please make sure to share this with a colleague, a friend, a classmate, your manager, the staffing office. Hey, they might need to listen to this as well. And also when you're listening to it on your favorite platform, feel free to rate and review, leave a comment. I would love to hear what you have to say. Also, other ways you can communicate with me is you can email me at nursealice at nurse.org. Would love to hear what you think, um, not only about this episode, but future episodes. Maybe you want to be a guest. Maybe you want to make a suggestion. Hey, we're going to listen and entertain every offer that comes across in that email, as well as you can uh, leave me a voicemail or you can text me at 725-910-9676. That's 725-910-9676. You got a question? Send me a voicemail. Got a question? Send me a text. Be happy to address your question here. Thanks so much for listening. Shout out to nurse.org for making this possible. They are such great advocates, friends, and families to nurses, guys. Make sure to visit the website at nurse.org. Anything and everything about nursing, education, career, retirement, finances, travel nursing, you want to know about it, your nurse, it's there. As well as other things that are going on in the community and policy and impacting our profession. So until next time, make good choices. Be kind to one another and live well, my friends. Thanks for listening to Ask Nurse Alice. Visit nurse.org for nursing career, education, and community resources.